millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. You didn't think I was going to broadcast the whole show wearing sunglasses, did you? That was just a gag. To make the point that this will be a short, sharp show, and that will continue over the next few weeks, and will be supplemented by my Wednesday evening, 10 p.m. London time, Galloway Show. That's no-budget television. This is next-to-no-budget television. But on October the 12th, we'll be returning with full length, all singing, all dancing, two mother of all talk shows a week, one on a Sunday at 7 p.m. UK time, one on a Wednesday at 10 p.m. So make a note, make a date with me for October. Now, there are tumultuous events unfolding across the world. In Sri Lanka, hundreds of thousands of people stormed the presidential palace. It's a scene that keeps tyrants and potentates awake at nights. It's been the nightmare of every dictatorial authoritarian ruler in all history. Because once the people move in such numbers, then not only will your security forces not be prepared to fire on them, but if they did fire on them, it would make no difference because no magazine contains that many bullets. And as soon as the magazine was dry, the people would pull the soldiers limb from limb. It's exactly the kind of revolution, the mass movement of millions of people that saw the overthrow of the Shah of Persia in 1979 when the Masses under the influence of the Ayatollah Khomeini finally moved after decades of dictatorship. The Shah was all-powerful. His secret police, the Savak, were the most feared in the entire Middle East, North African area, although there was hot competition for that title. But the last straw, no one can tell when the last straw has been laden on the camel's back. If you could tell, you wouldn't laid it on the camel's back. But you can't tell if that last straw was the one that broke the camel's back. And the Shah of Persia ended his life fleeing in ignominy, and so has the President and the Prime Minister of Sri Lanka. We covered this just a couple of weeks ago. You should look back the interview, which foretold with uncanny accuracy exactly what transpired this week. The president has fled on board a naval ship. The airport was chock full of the bag carriers of the administration fleeing for their private jets, trying to get on the last commercial flights 
out of Colombo. The Prime Minister stepped down, but that didn't stop the crowd from burning down the Prime Minister's house. In the presidential palace, uh, the masses, the people, were taking a dip in the president's swimming pool. Well, it was their swimming pool after all. They were taking pictures of themselves, lounging in the sumptuous accommodation, until then occupied by the president of Sri Lanka, who ran a family business. His brothers were the main ministers, his cousins, his satrapies of all kinds were running all of Sri Lanka. Now, this does not mean that because something has the form of revolution, that it will have the content of revolution. I have no idea what will happen next in Sri Lanka. In Iran, there was a leader and he had a clear program and he had millions behind it. And that's why all these decades later, the Islamic revolution of Iran still stands. I'm unaware of any putative leader or any program in Sri Lanka. So it may very well be that the country will continue to spiral downwards and will not be able to be saved. The prime minister already declared the country to be a failed state and bankrupt, as indeed he might. But that state of affairs is going to spill over across the world, including into Europe. Right this day, in Tirana, in Albania, hundreds of thousands of people are on the march. They are determined to bring down the regime. A neoliberal regime beholden to the European Union and all of its works. We'll be coming on to some of those works later. Beholden to the International Monetary Fund and to the World Bank destroying the livelihoods of the people of Albania. And they are determined to bring down the regime. The people in Bulgaria have already brought down their regime. Draghi, the prime minister of Italy, had to flee Madrid and the NATO summit this week to return to Italy, where Italian farmers in the vanguard, but joined by students and workers of all kinds, have begun to demand the fall of another Blairite EU regime. And Draghi is going to be dragged off the political scene very soon. And Ruta is headed down the shooter in the Netherlands, which is one of the most interesting cases in point. My good wife was born and raised and educated in the Netherlands. It happens, therefore, that I know a fair bit about that country and its government. If Tony Blair had a Dutch brother, it would be Mark Rutte, achingly politically correct on all of the culture war issues, never gets his pronouns wrong, wears the rainbow when necessary, adds the black to the rainbow, adds the PTQP, TTIs, question mark. He does everything that you would expect a Blairite to do. He takes the knee. But when the neoliberal economic policy that he pursues, the slavish obeisance to Brussels and the European Union comes under challenge, well, they shoot farmers 
in the Netherlands, don't they? Imagine that. A liberal, centrist, Blairite prime minister turned the guns of his security forces onto the farmers. But it hasn't worked. You see, it's that last straw on the camel's back again. Farmers everywhere are tired of the green orthodoxy that is putting farming out of business, putting meat beyond the pale, accusing farting cows of courting catastrophe in the environment in the world when the United States military has a bigger carbon footprint than the next eight countries in the world put together. Just think about that. And of course, those that are forever talking about farting cows and the need to eat grasshoppers rather than cheeseburgers are the very same people endlessly advocating for war and weapons, pouring them in to the war in the Ukraine to keep it going as long as possible. So don't talk to me about eating grasshoppers whilst you're destroying the world with your war and your weapons. That's a conclusion, incohate maybe, which has been reached by farmers and farming communities. I'm going to let you in on a secret. I have driven over much of Europe over the last couple of weeks. I have not seen, I swear, on any private building or business, a single Ukrainian flag on the continent of Europe, on anybody's house, on anybody's shop, on anybody's cafe or restaurant. That tells you something. Tells you, first of all, uh, that Ukraine mania is an Anglo-Saxon thing, not a European thing. It tells you a second thing that the European public is vitally aware that the Joe Biden administration, egged on by Boris Johnson, has dragged Europe onto the brink of catastrophe, economic catastrophe, social catastrophe, cultural catastrophe. And the people are mad as hell and they're not going to put up with it anymore. Just this day, the farmers in the Netherlands went into an aircraft hangar and towed Ruta's jet out with a tractor. I don't know where they've taken it off, sir. If I did, I'd tell you. But they have towed away the prime minister's jet in the Netherlands. There could be a revolution in the Netherlands. Words I never thought I'd ever be able to say. The truth is, that Macron has lost his majority. Biden has lost his marbles and Johnson has lost his office. Let me turn to what happened to Boris Johnson. Johnson was overthrown by his own colleagues, but they were not acting in a vacuum. For many months, there has been a full deep state inspired and organized coup to bring down Boris Johnson. Not to allow a real change of government, not to by any means allow a real change of system, no, to save this form of government, to save this form of system. 
They wanted rid of Johnson so that their system could be put in a safer pair of hands. For the avoidance of doubt, and there are a surprisingly large number of idiots out there who imagine that somehow I'm sympathetic either to Johnson or to any one of his putative successors. Damn them all, I say. Every conservative, every new Labourite, damn Starmer, damn Johnson. I'm against them all, would vote for none of them. But it's my job as a person in charge of the Open University of the Airwaves to tell you the truth as I see it. And the truth is that they can't have got rid of Johnson because of birthday cakes and parties, because they were all eating curries or birthday cakes. They were all drinking beer or champagne. Keir Starmer did exactly what Boris Johnson did and Rishi Sunak did. They got fined for it. He didn't. He didn't because the power in the country is determined uh, that Tweedledee might be needed if Tweedledum doesn't work. Plan B if Plan A doesn't work. And so Angela Rayner, the Ginger Growler, Keir Starmer, the Block of Wood are still standing, even though their offences were identical. Indeed, you could argue that Starmer's was worse. So it wasn't about, neither was it about covering up for the weirdos in Parliament that ramble around drunk, sticking their hands down men's trousers. Because they're all doing that. If not men's trousers, then women's trousers. Our parliament is a sink of perversion. It is a sink of sin. Even members of the cabinet, even people running to be the prime minister, are presently, or at least until very recently, were committing adultery, cheating on their husbands or wives. So it's not about pincher or pincher, because that's always been going on. I sat in a parliament where Stephen Milligan, formerly of the BBC and The Economist, became a Conservative MP before being found dead in women's underwear with a ligature around his neck and an orange stuffed in his mouth. And that was nearly 25 years ago. So it's not because Pinchon was staggering around in clubland, unable to say his name and fondling young men who had no interest in his advances. The chief whip of the SNP has already been found guilty of doing exactly the same thing. The SNP reappointed him as their chief whip after, years after, knowing exactly what he was. Parliament is full of weirdos. Trust me, I've even had some of their hands on my knee. You can see it on YouTube. I've just been talking about it. That's not why they got rid of Johnson. They got rid of Johnson because they want to replace him with Rishi Sunak, the richest man in Christendom. I say Christendom, he's not a Christian, 
but he lives in Christendom. And he's the richest man in Christendom, at least so far as British politics is concerned, not just because he is himself a multi-millionaire, but because he had the very, very savvy sense to fall in love and marry an heiress to several billion, billion pounds. So he doesn't need to be in public office. You won't probably catch him fiddling his expenses, although his wife was fiddling her taxes. She was registered as a non-dom, non-domiciled in Britain, whilst her husband was the Chancellor of the Exchequer of Great Britain, charged with the responsibility of bringing taxes in. His own wife had her billions parked offshore so that she would not have to pay tax on them. Why do they want Rishi Sunak? Because they want Britain back in the European Union. Not necessarily as a all singing, all dancing member of the European Union, not even necessarily de jure back in the single market, but they want to bring us close to the single market. They want to realign us with the single market. They want to reverse Brexit. And as Michael Heseltine told anyone that was listening on the television all week, no Boris, no Brexit, they think. Although if they try to do that, they will unleash the same kind of potentially ungovernable forces in Britain that Mark Rutte has unleashed in the Netherlands, that have been unleashed in Bulgaria, in Tirana, Albania, who knows, even in Sri Lanka. I think that Rishi Sunak is the man to beat. He has many opponents, nine at the last count. One of them, <clears throat> surprisingly, had to pull out Ben Wallace, the great war leader, four foot eleven, talking about President Putin having small man syndrome, talk about living in a glass house and throwing stones. Ben Wallace was the bookie's favorite because of his good war in the Ukraine, a war we are not in, by the way. But he had a good war. And more MPs were backing him than were backing any other, but he has had to pull out having consulted his family and friends. That leaves a short list of nine. Weirdos, comic singers, and serious players. Let me deal with Jeremy Hunt first. Hunt is the most naked of the undo Brexit candidates. Hunt, who left our health service, in such a parlous state that it virtually collapsed with the coronavirus pandemic. Hunt, with his Chinese wife, subject to all the pressures of the Chinese Communist Party. That's what they'll say. He'll be shot down in flames. He will not get into the final two. And they'll blame it on China. They'll blame it on his poor wife, who is entirely blameless, I assure you. There are others that are just there for the ride, if you forgive the phrase, just to canter 
down a furlong or two before dropping out, but show sufficient class and form that the next time they may be serious players. Badenoch is one of those. Braverman is another of those. They're not serious. Prime ministerial material, uh, but they are talented, voluble, eloquent women of colour, which of course in today's zeitgeist speaks volumes. The serious two contenders are Penny Mordaunt and Rishi Sunak, and I predict they will be the final two. Now I told you, I declare my interest. I stand to win thousands and thousands of pounds if Penny Mordaunt becomes the next Prime Minister, but that's not why I'm going to say what I'm going to say. If the Tories had any sense, they'd pick her. She's a younger, sexier Margaret Thatcher. She can debate, she can deal with opponents, she can appear on television, she can crush the Scottish nationalist insurrection. She can be everyone's, I don't know what, nurse, governess, whatever these public schoolboy types like to be spanked by. She can be all of those things. And she's a smart cookie. She's a Royal Navy reservist. And she is the Member of Parliament for Portsmouth. And she looks good in a swimsuit, better than Rishi Sunak could ever look in a swimsuit. Zook Zookski donated five pounds and says, good evening, George. Cool and trendy stuff. Thank you. Not bad for my age. And Andrew gives five pounds. Thank you, Andrew. And Joe Tugas donates five US dollars and says, thank you for the education. It is very much appreciated. And my good friend, Teresa Kelly in the United States donates 10 US dollars. Now, James Melville is my superhero. He's my favorite Scotsman. And he's become so over a considerable period during which he has built a truly massive following, not just across Britain, but across the world because of the perspicacity of his take on events. And I'm glad to say that James Joins us now, James. Welcome uh, to the mother of all. Good evening, Oscars. George. I'm going to tax you this evening because I need your take on all of the things that I've discussed in my opening monologue, starting with the Netherlands. There's something big happening on the European mainland, isn't there? There is. Not that it's reported much on um, the legacy media. I mean, it's like the truckers. That wasn't really reported on either. But basically... Society, in terms of supply chains, pretty much stops if the truckers and the farmers decide to stop it. Um, and there's, the truckers, it was all about, you know, the, the concerns about freedoms, they got into lockdowns and vaccine passports. But this one is to do with a lot of bad policy by governments, which has escalated, obviously, the, the cost of living crisis. And it seems like they've got a lot of support in their own country, the, the farmers in the Netherlands. But there is a knock-on effect to this, George. The Netherlands is the second biggest exporting agricultural product country in the world. And that, therefore, what the farmers are doing is exerting their power. If they block the ports, the roads, 
There's not going to be much that gets out of the country, and that's going to have a massive knock-on effect to markets around the world who are getting their supply chains in terms of agricultural provision from the Netherlands. But it goes back to the point that we've discussed once before, George. The, polit- the high-polluting politicians can do what they want and have their agendas. But without farmers, there's no food. Without truckers, there's no food. And the truckers and the farmers know that, and they can stop a country by coordinating blockades. It happened in Canada, and it's now happening in Netherlands. Not just Netherlands as well. It's happening in Italy. It's happening in Germany. So the word is spreading. And it's another lesson but by, in terms of the art of effective protest. If there's bad governments, effectively those bad policies catch up with the governments in the end because various communities take some action. And this is a perfect example. It's parallels to the truckers in Canada the farmers in the Netherlands. But there is knock-on effects when they come down the tracks in terms of supply chains because of these blockades. You make the point about bad policies, uh, but they're, they all run out of the same stable, James, for me. They run out of the stable of, of uh, what purports to be green, uh, you know, COP26. Putin didn't even show up. The Chinese didn't show up. The Western leaders prostrated themselves in front of, uh, of the, uh, the young girl, uh, and her acolytes, they were Dutch auctioning uh, over who was going to cut this and cut that, cut farming, cut uh, fossil uh, fuels, and so on. Uh, so part of the bad policies are all running out of that stable. They all followed uh, the Joe Biden line on taking effectively wartime sanctions against Russia, and they're all paying the price for it. You're right, uh, it's not just in the Netherlands, it's not just in Italy, or even just in Germany, it's in Poland. I talked earlier about the uprising in Albania. Oh, this is a pan, or soon will be, a pan-European uprising. The question is, where are the British? Probably complaining about the quality of tea. I mean, it's. I don't, I don't know what the point is. Well, it's also a tipping point, George, in the UK for um, galvanizing people power. We've got a cost of living crisis as well. I mean, the cost of living crisis for me is interlinked with a cost of lockdowns crisis because if you're going to lock down society and therefore plants, manufacturing factories aren't going to be open for months and months and months, that's eventually going to have a day of reckoning in terms of supply chains. And this is effectively what we've got here now. You know, the cost of living crisis is obviously interlinked with a number of other areas, such as commodities, quantities of easing, and so on. But fundamentally, one of the roots of the evil here is because the supply chains have clogged up. But what's going to happen here is when you're getting a, a cost of living crisis, that people are making a zero-sum game choice about food on the table or fuel in their car or heat in their homes. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The fear over the COVID era is now being replaced by anger. We've gone through a two-year cycle where governments have told us to basically know our place, whether you agree with the policies or not, but it did stoke up a lot of fear. But what's happened now is we're on the other side to an extent of COVID and we're left with the collateral damage of the supply chain crisis. And when people are not putting food on the table and they're not being able to put fuel in their car as easily as they could before because of the prices, then people, rightly so, are going to get angry and they're going to ask a lot of questions about what their governments are actually doing. And considering the UK government, they, their solution seems to be increasing national insurance, or in Sunak's case, saying that basically we've got to keep high tax. We're facing almost a new model of what we went through after the financial crash in 2008, 2009, where we then had a decade of appalling austerity that ripped the hearts out of our public services. This one is ripping the hearts out of people's day-to-day existence because of the cost of living. And that is going to affect almost every single person in the country. It already is. The only people who seem to be immune from it are a few highfalutin billionaires, bad actor corporates, a few bad actor technocrats, and inept politicians. Well, of course, some of them, uh, maybe all of them, are in the cabinet. And some of them, maybe all of them, are running for prime minister. I've not had time to count the high net worth uh, of the like of uh, Zahawi and uh, Sunak in particular, two of the richest men ever to enter parliament. Uh, But it would be very substantial. I mean, between the two of them and uh, Rishi's wife, uh, we're talking many billions. And that's just at the dispatch box, at the uh, at the starting post for this leadership election. Give me your reflections on the bringing down of Boris Johnson. You touched on it just before it came on. I am no fan of Boris Johnson. I think he's completely unfit for purpose, the Prime Minister. I think it's a stain and it's embarrassment on this country, the fact that he went from you know, someone with a bit of purple prose, if you're so inclined for certain publications, to somehow end up as Prime Minister and via Foreign Secretary and London Mayor. But it is what it is. But I think that it's been calculated to get rid of them because what he was doing wasn't a great example. It was hypocritical. He tried to wriggle away from trouble, which actually got him in more trouble. But our politicians all over the world have been hypocrites over, you know, various forms of hospitality during the COVID period. You know, we've seen it with Trudeau. We've seen it with Macron. We've seen it with Sturgeon. We've seen it with Starmer. But it was an opportunity to effectively pull up the drawbridge on, on Johnson. It did seem agenda-based, but I'm no fan of Johnson, but I'm also no fan of what might be coming down the tracks. You've got nine candidates there. that have, it, it feels now, George, that politics has turned into a game show. What we've got now is basically a leadership contest with the Tory party that is like the, the worst ever series of The Apprentice. There's not a single candidate there that you think is fit for purpose to be prime minister. There's no gravitas. They've got no vision for the future. At least, maybe I'm showing my age here, but in the 80s and the 90s, you'd have politicians from different sides of the fence 
who were genuine public servants, whether you agreed with them or not. And they certainly had an intellectual rigor to get on top of the brief and understand what they're talking about, convey what they're talking about in a way that people will learn and respect whether they agreed with that individual or not. Now, we've just basically got show business politics, but with no depth on it. And I look at those nine, and I agree with you. I think Sunak is the kind of the chosen one. I think Morden probably will come in into the top two as well, possibly Jeremy Hunt. But God help us if it's a playoff between Sunak and Hunt. I mean, it's two cheeks of the same backside, to kind of quote your old phrase. But there's, there's nothing there. The cupboard is empty. And the people that I feel sorry for are all of us, because we're basically going to have another prime minister that's going to be there with the strings being pulled on that individual with no core vision to do the best and serve by the thing that they're supposed to represent, us, the people. All they're doing is serving whoever's behind them and certainly serving their own interests. Boris Johnson won't go quietly from the scene, will he? I, I don't expect him to take a self-denying ordinance. I, I expect him to uh, sit like Edward Heath did after he was usurped by Margaret Thatcher and do anything he can to, uh, to cause problems for Rishi Sunak, should he be the next prime minister? I think possibly there's some stories emerging over the weekend that Johnson might actually stand in a leadership contest. <laughs> I mean, because there's a bit of buyer's remorse within the Tory party. And there's also, you know, there might be some remorse within the Tory party members because they don't like the fact that basically their darling, beloved, great Brexiteer Boris has basically been ousted. So... There is rumours that Boris might actually put his name forward, so um, pass the popcorn on that one. But I, if, if that doesn't happen, I think what Johnson will do is uh, he will have his effects through through the keyboard and the pen because I don't think he will be waiting too long to go back to the career that he had before, whether it's the Telegraph or Spectator doing forms of commentary. He's going to be sought after for that, and I think that's when he will... Um, he will try and seek his revenge. But we'll wait and see if the rumours are true or not about him putting himself forward for the leadership contest. Now, we're far too young to know uh, many members of the Conservative Party. There are about 150,000 of them. Their average age is in the 70s. Uh, in fact, 72 to 84 aged, 72 to 84 is the mean of the people who will be making this decision. So it's hard for us to take a guess. But James, you and I are in the prediction business. What's your prediction for our next Prime Minister? Well, I like the odd flutter, but I'm not very good at it. So take my prediction and, and do the opposite. I've got a hunch that I think, by fair means or foul, I think Sunak will get it in the end. The problem Sunak's got, though, is when it goes out to the members. because. He's got no common touch. He's dull. I mean, Keir Starmer is exactly the same on the Labour side. And people, you know, people struggle even to know how to spell his first name, let alone understand what his vision is. I think Sunak might have the same problem, but it seems like he's the chosen one. So I think he will be in the two. Um, I think Morden hasn't made a very good start with a couple of gaffes. But I agree with what you said, actually, before I came on. She's the one. I'm no fan of hers, but I could see her having a wider appeal and reaching parts that the Tory party may not have reached in a while because she, she's got the common touch. So if the Tory party were trying to think long-term and widen their appeal, she's the obvious one. Um, Sunak is just a machine politician. Jeremy Hunt is a machine politician on steroids. They're not the solution. 
the only people that think that there's a solution yeah, yeah, yeah. are themselves. Desiccated, the de desiccated calculating machines. James Melville, thanks as always for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. The poll is going great guns. Should there be a general election rather than a Tory leadership battle? Uh, on Twitter, it's yes, 68, no, 32. On YouTube, it's yes, 75, no, 15. And on Telegram, it's yes, 84, no, 16. So, not that popular, this uh, endless uh, dance inside the magic circle of the Conservative Party. Let's go straight to the lines. Richard in Manchester, welcome to the show, Rich. Good evening, George. Thanks so much once again uh, for, for having me on. George, what you're saying is exactly, exactly, exactly right. 17.4 million people voted for Brexit. We had to get Brexit done by getting Boris in. Hence the reason why he's had to take all this flack. However, he's a conservative. He's gone. If Mordaunt can get in now, George, I, I would say to you that's one of the best bets going. She would wipe the floor with that little monster up in Scotland, irrespective of what your politics are about her, because she is causing a lot of trouble, along with uh, Blair and everybody else. He came out last week, uh, Blair, and said, this is the future. And I'm really cursing at the television to say, what right has he got to say what the future is? All he is trying to do like Heseltine, is to get the money back, the money flowing, uh, the corrupt money that is going on in the EU. And I don't think the EU is going to last all that long. So they're pretty desperate to get us back in by splitting the union between Scotland and England and thinking that everybody will follow and, and go back in. But George, we need a leader. We need a leader. The 17.4 million um, who voted for Brexit are now rudderless. Because Nigel Farage, who got us there, I was so mad at him for not doing a deal um, to, to, to stay and to giving in. And now I suddenly realized that the man was very, very tired and he needed a rest. So I was humane on that. And I, I, I thought, well, we've got to stick to it. Then Boris came along and had a good relationship with, um, uh, with President Trump. And I thought, well, if we can get a two trillion deal off the off, off um, uh, America, uh, and I don't particularly like that idea, but at least our kids and our grandchildren and so on would benefit from it. But Blair is the man who is sticking his neck out again in something that really doesn't concern him. I don't think he wants to lead, but if I'm fair, George, he's been leading this country for 20 years in wars and things like that that nobody wanted. And I'm very, very, very angry that he should come on the television and tell me my vote was no good, 17.4. You're all idiots uh, voting Brexit. You're all idiots because really what he was saying was, I know what's going on. And there's a lot going on behind the scenes. And I don't think Rishi Shunak, I think we're going to go back to May's days. So I think we've got to try and stop him as well. But who's going to lead the 17.4 million, yeah, George? His trees are made without the laughs. It's a very odd time to be trying to take us back into the European Union, which is literally on fire, <laughs> where, where hundreds of thousands of people are on the streets trying to bring down their governments. 
from uh, from Poland, Germany, Italy, the Netherlands, uh, Albania, and so on. Uh, the whole of the European Union is headed for the rocks, and they want to drag us back onto the rocks. Richard, thanks as always. Elliot is in Florida. Who wouldn't want to go there? Let's hear from Elliot. Oh, uh, I hope you're having a good vacation. Yeah, I uh, I have a, a different, I've just um, become uh, aware of uh, a different take on the uh, Brexit and the uh, ouster of uh, Johnson uh, by the folks at the Grey Zone. Are you familiar with Max Blumenthal and the Grey Zone? He's a good friend of mine, yes. Yes, well, they just did a re an interview and a report First of all, uh, I think you reported on the fact that um, 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 Jerry, Jeremy Corbyn has pointed to uh, the British intelligence as having a part in his demise. And, and now the Grey Zone has interviewed two fellows uh, who are, I guess, professors that were lumped in with you by that, uh, that, uh, that fellow. Um, uh, do you know the peers uh, Robinson and David Miller? Um, talking about the Integrity Initiative and the Institute for Strategic uh, for uh, Statecraft uh, that was anti-Corbin. Anyway, they, they somehow got a hold of, the Gray Zone did, uh, all these hacked emails uh, that were hacked by the group Anonymous and published that show that Richard Dearlove uh, was the head of this cabal, the former MI6 um, chief, was the head of the cabal that orchestrated Brexit and and uh, got um, the, according to the, the them that got uh, Boris Johnson in so they could have Brexit so they could have a hard Brexit and now they're doing away with um, with uh, um, uh, Boris Johnson in favor of Pretty Patel who they call their girl in number ten. Now I don't know if you've heard these reports or seen the Gray Zone report. And they did two reports, one with the interview and another where, uh, on these uh, emails. But if you do get a chance, I'd love to hear your comment on that analysis. Well, I have, of course, heard it and uh, read it. Uh, Priti Patel is going nowhere. She's not a candidate for the leadership. She will not be retained in her current position uh, by the next prime minister. I'm pretty sure of that. She'll move down the batting order. And as for the deep state being in favor of Brexit, the deep state did everything that it could to wreck Brexit. The security services, the BBC, the Confederation of British Industries, the banks, all the big companies, finance capital, all of them were against Brexit. That's why defeating uh, all of them was such a monumental achievement for the 17.4 million voters who voted for it. I have no idea about uh, Dear Love, uh, whether he wanted Brexit or not, but if he did, he was an outlier. If he did, he was not uh, speaking with the same voice as the others in the intelligence services. The whole of the British ruling class, virtually all of the British ruling class, wanted to remain in the European Union because they are globalists, because finance capital was imperiled and the city of London was imperiled by Brexit. Uh, would London lose its centrality in the world financial markets uh, and so on? 
Uh, so the, the, the lineup was the entire establishment against Brexit and renegade members of the establishment, like Boris Johnson, though he only decided literally on the eve of the campaign uh, to back Brexit, uh, and uh, people who are not in the establishment, like uh, Nigel Farage and, and, dare I say it, me. We got 17.4 million votes, not because any cabal was behind us, not because Putin wanted it, because people had a lived experience of 40 years of membership of the European Union and they looked at their lives after 40 years of membership and decided to actually take a chance on something different. Elliot, thanks uh, very much uh, for the call. Anyone else on the line? I apologize for the sound quality this evening. I promise it will be better uh, next week. Sarkar is in Glasgow on the EU. Thank you very much. Oh, George, thank you so much once again. George, uh, uh, fantastic show. And after listening to you last week, I've seen a football podcast also. It was amazing. Uh, George, my question thank is about what I saw in the Netherlands today. Not today for the past few days. I'll be honest, George, I stand with the farmers. Hi, can you hear me? George, can you hear me? Yes, yes, go ahead. Hi, George. It's with regards to Netherlands, and because it's Netherlands, you can understand the EU is intertwined. The World Economic Forum is intertwined in this one. I have been seeing the farmers, they were shot at. Fake news has been spread all over the Western media to say that the farmers were trying to run over the policemen, but when we see the videos, they were just protesting in their lorries, trucks, or walking. They were shot at for no fault of their own. People in the World Economic Forum, they decide how farming should be done. They decide what kind of chemicals farmers should be using, decided by those people who have never farmed in their entire lives and who take private jets. This obsession with global warming has hurt Netherlands farmers. They have risen. I remember in the climate change conference, similar thing was said by the Sri Lankan head of the state. Oh, we are, we are going fully organic, going green revolution. Look what's happening over there. Agriculture would be destroyed, George. People's lives would be at stake. Who are these people to decide what kind of farming should be done by people when they know nothing about farming? Yes, exactly. Uh, and uh, they all become uh, Reader's Digest experts on the environment and on farming. A good friend of mine, Jamie Blackett, is a dissident farmer, uh, but a farmer of substance uh, and uh, of significance uh, from a long line of farmers in, in my own area. Uh, he makes the point that a lot of these middle class radicals uh, that consider themselves expert on the countryside actually would get lost in the gorse bushes if they went uh, off the road without their four-wheeled drive. Uh, they know nothing about the land, nothing about, uh, uh, about uh, animals and their co- and interdependence with each other. Um, uh, but it's all this woke-driven agenda which stretches from the pronouns to the, uh, to the farming. Uh, and it's all, I think, beginning to fall to pieces because it causes poverty for working class people and unemployment and perdition, the destruction of their 
often generations of farming businesses for those that work in the uh, on the on the land in the agricultural sector. Thanks, Sarka. Dan in Portsmouth is up next on the Tories. What would you like to say, Dan? Hi, George. Uh, I wanted to make a comment about Penny Morden. Yeah, go on. James Melville, he had a, a lot of good things to say, and I agree with much of it, but one of the things he did say is that none of these candidates have a vision for the future. And uh, last year, Penny co-authored the book with Chris Lewis uh, called Greater Britain After the Storm. And it's a fantastic read, and Chris Lewis certainly is somebody that would sit on the other side of the political aisle to uh, Penny Morden. And I don't think somebody um, would do that, write a book of, of that stature, if they were just going for political points. I think this is somebody that, that actually really cares. And uh, she's not my MP, but I do live close to Portsmouth. I'm just outside Portsmouth. And you can see she is an absolute workhorse for her constituents in Portsmouth North. So there, there is one that does have a vision, vision for the future. And I think it might be Penny. Well, uh, you're entitled to that point of view. Of course, it's not a vision I would share, uh, but you're right to point out that at least she has boot pen to paper and we can all judge uh, her vision. Uh, we know the vision of Rishi Sunak already. We know the vision of Jeremy Hunt already. And their tried and failed homilies, tried and failed orthodoxies, that I don't think are going to cut much mustard. Many, many thanks uh, to you, Dan, uh, speaking up for the Portsmouth MP, Penny Mordaunt. And a big thanks to all of you that have donated via the Super Chat tonight, including, in particular, Albert Sontag, who gave us 50 US dollars and says, how kind is this? Bravo, George, one of the last great parliamentarians, Pim, Cobden, Bright, Wilson, and Ben, good wishes from San Diego, California. Well, Albert, I'm uh, greatly touched to be mentioned in that uh, company. You only missed out my all-time favorite parliamentarian, Charles James Fox, who was the only British member of parliament to support the American Revolution. The only one. And the only British member of parliament to support the French Revolution. And he tabled a motion in the British Parliament calling for the overthrow of all the crowned heads of Europe and congratulating the French people on the execution of their king and queen. He was carried aloft every time they expelled him from the British Parliament by his electors who then re-elected him. He was possibly the greatest of all parliamentary orators, Charles James Fox. Perhaps his ideas are coming back into fashion. Last call is Cornelius in Swansea on the Tories. Go ahead, Cornelius. Regarding the leadership uh, contestants that were going to be the, um, uh, the next prime minister and the leader of the Conservative Party, the Indian lady, that's the attorney general, that's put a name into the hat. You mentioned the name at the beginning of the show. Um, she is, she Braverman, is one of the, Suela Braverman, uh, yeah. Well, well done, George. She is one of the very few people in the Conservative uh, Party that never voted once for Theresa May's deal. Boris Johnson did on the third time. Jacob Rees-Mogg did. And her campaign is run by Steve Baker. 
And I honestly think that the Brexiteer people within the Conservative Party and the members who are supposed to be for Brexit, I think she's the one that's going to be the dark horse going to the final two. Even though Penny Morden, I tend to agree there as well. She's got finesse and she's got the, the um, persona as well and she's a good speaker. But that, that uh, the Attorney General, I think she's a dark horse out of, out of all of them. Regarding Sunak, Hunt and Javid, I honestly don't think they got it. They, they may get through to pass the preliminary rounds, but I honestly think that lady is the one to look out for. Well, uh, it's good that we got an alternative uh, horse, as it were, uh, on the board. Uh, Suella Braverman is not a household name. Uh, she does have a consistent set of political uh, views and her voting record uh, speaks for itself. And so uh, it's good that you got your chance to uh, put your pitch in for her. We'll follow this race, of course, every Wednesday and every Sunday until its conclusion. I, uh, of course, have no horse myself in the race, except the one I had the perspicacity to back at the extraordinarily generous odds of 40 to 1, when most people couldn't pronounce her name. Sometimes I see a horse, back it, and it romps home. Maybe Penny Morden will do the same. Now, thanks, uh, Cornelius. Thanks for all of your calls. And thanks for Ian Puddock, who donated £44.99 from his gin business, I dare say. I don't drink, but if you're going to drink gin, drink Ian Puddock's gin, whatever it's called, £44.99. Thank you. God bless you, Ian. Thanks for all your support. Join me, 10 p.m. London time on Wednesday for the Galloway Show. There'll be much more where this came from. Have a good night. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.